Well, the other day I uh, came to a verse in my Bible reading, and it, it kind of stopped me where I was, and I had to think about it for a minute. And, and the verse takes place in an early time in Jesus' ministry, um, where he's doing great miracles and people are flocking to him and um, he's healing many, he's casting out demons. And in fact, he just raised someone from the dead. And he's traveling all around the Galilee area, but eventually he comes to Nazareth. And it's the place where people knew him, right? They knew him growing up, they knew his family, and, uh, and they were hearing things about him that they were surprised at. And then they heard him teach and they were amazed as he was teaching and preaching in the synagogue. And they, you know, they were kind of, we know this guy. You know, isn't he the carpenter? Right? Probably he probably fixed their doors and made them tables and chairs and everything a, a carpenter would do in, in a local community. And they said, Isn't his family here with us? We know his mother and brothers and sisters. How can he be doing such miracles? And how can he be proclaiming what he is? You know, what's so extraordinary about him? How is he different than us? And so that they had trouble looking past what they were accustomed to seeing, you know, what they could see with their eyes, what they, was familiar to them, you know, and seeing him more than that. And then it's this verse that kind of astounded me. It still does. In Mark chapter 6 and verse 5, as he was ministering there, it says, He could do no mighty work, save that he laid hands on a few sick folk and healed them. And he marveled because of their unbelief. And he went round about the villages teaching. Now think about that for a minute. Here is the king of kings, the God of the universe come down. He's God made flesh with limitless power. He has, he's anointed without measure of the Spirit of God. And he can do anything, but he could do there no mighty work. Except heal a few sick folks who were probably in need. And I, I just imagine that he shook his head in unbelief at the opportunity that he was giving them. And what is really amazing is that the mighty God could be limited in what he could do in the midst of that town. That's just amazing to me that God could be, of course, he's not limited, but yet in a sense, he's looking for hearts that will believe and hearts with faith. So he came there to work miracles, to draw their hearts to believe, but he could not. And the problem was that they were seeing him with their natural eyes and their natural mind, and they didn't understand, and they couldn't get past that, the, what was familiar to them, what they knew. And their unbelief kept them from receiving a blessing and entering into new life. And to me, that's a scary thought, right? That that we could get in a way where we're looking at God or looking at our pathway or what God wants to do or an opportunity. We're looking at it through natural eyes in a way that limits what God wants to do in us or in our midst, in our churches, 
and so forth. Now, from reading this account, you might think, well, does this really apply to the people of God? Because did these really know him in that spiritual sense? That's a legitimate question, right? But I think there's a verse that answers that uh, quite well. And it's in, it's in one of the Psalms and, and, you know, where it talks about Israel and how God led them through the, the wilderness and delivered them from Egypt first, right, with mighty signs and wonders and brought them out and then more more power and glory at Mount Sinai and in their desert and they're seeing miracles left right and center you know that's what they they're living by miracles in the desert the problem was is that God was also testing them and you know they kept failing their tests one after another and it happened through many wrong responses to the situations he brought them through. And, and even though they had seen miracles with their eyes and they experienced deliver, deliverance, you know, many times over, they were asking questions like, can God furnish a table in the wilderness? Can God provide us water in a dry place? Can we have some food better than manna? And this is how the Lord summarized it in Psalm 78, verse 41. He said, yes, again and again, they tempted God and they limited the Holy One of Israel. They limited the Holy One of Israel. Now, this Hebrew word for limited, it's this specific word is, is only used one time in Scripture. Uh, it means to grieve. But it's related to another root word. It's very closely associated with the the word uh, that a word that means to scribble or strike a line. And I thought that was interesting. Israel kept provoking God in the desert, and it's like they kept putting lines. You know, Lord, I'm willing to follow you, but only so far, only in so many things. You know. I can't follow you when there's no water. I can't follow you when there's no good food to eat. I can't follow you when this, that, and the other is taking place. And Lord, we haven't had any quail since Egypt. They must have liked quail. And we're not willing to compromise on that. We need quail. And God said, you want quail? I'll give it to you until it's coming out your ears. They got what they asked for. And of course, another psalm says, God sent leanness into their soul. Another verse. And so they kept failing their tests and until the last one came and they saw the giants. They heard about them. They didn't even see them. They just heard about them. And they said, these giants are too tall. They're too strong. That's the last straw. We're going back to Egypt. Of course, what they were really saying was they didn't believe that God could deliver them these giants, could help them conquer these giants. Of course, God has his lines too. And uh, he said, you know what? You're right. You're not going to go into the land. And your children will, but not you. And you're going to just go in circles for the next while. And so, you know, what we can learn with this is that, you know, there are lines and sometimes God will bring us to these lines, so to speak. Maybe, maybe situations and lines that, 
we don't understand. We don't know what's beyond them. Uh, it's a little scary. Sometimes we're like, well, Lord, if I cross this line, what's going to happen? If I go into this situation or experience this, how, how am I going to make it? And sometimes those lines make it seem like we're going the wrong way even. And we're not going the way of promise. We're going the way of not seeing the promise. You know, like Abraham. Father Abraham, as we call him today. But, you know, Abram, as he started off with, initially, uh, it, that means exalted father. And then Abraham means father of a multitude. And yet, how many children of promise did he have? Zero. You wonder if there were some in, in Abraham's household. You know, he had a big household of servants and, you know, other children who were not of promise. You know, I wonder if they, they thought or even said out loud, I wonder if they said, I don't know where they're, where they're talking about this promise thing. You know, a child of promise. They're in their 90s. How can they have a child of promise? But, you know, that's a question that's based on what they saw with their natural eyes. It wasn't based on what we believe or what we could believe in God or what they could believe. And so, you know, if we have heart eyes of faith and a heart that's willing to believe we're able to see beyond into something greater and we're willing to, we can, we can cross those lines and walk with God. And so, you know, in the, this context, sometimes there's a line that God brings us to that's a limit to our understanding, a limit to our comprehension, and it takes us out of the familiar of what we know and what we're used to takes us beyond what we can see with our eyes. And that's, our, that's a point of decision. And many with Christ said, Lord, this is a line we can't go beyond. Because we don't see it, we don't understand it, we don't believe. But if we're willing to trust God, it'll lead us beyond that. It'll lead us into faith. And so, you know, really, you know what what these lines represent and what they do, uh, these lines separate those who, who believe from those who don't believe. We only have to look to John's gospel to see a stark example of it. You know, here again, Jesus is performing uh, miracles. The multitudes are seeing it and his disciples as well. And, you know, he multiplies the loaves and fishes. He walks on water. He brings a boat with his disciples in it, you know, that's in the middle of a storm, and he brings it instantly to land. You know, and so the miracles are flowing. But then he begins to talk of the deeper things, right, of going on with him in his kingdom. And he's not even talking about the crucified life yet. He's talking about the holy place, right, feeding upon him as the bread of life and, and so forth, as the bread of heaven, looking at him as, as our only source of life, but you know that becomes a line that some can't cross, some can't accept, they can't go beyond that. And of course, you know, they saw the miracles, but what he's saying, they're having trouble receiving. And in John 6:42, they said, "Is this not Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? And how is it then that he's saying, "I came down from heaven, and I'm the bread of heaven. I'm the bread of life, and 
You know, you must receive me. How, how can he be saying these things? We don't understand. We can't receive these things. See, they knew him and his family, and they were willing to follow him with the miracles, but yet this was a line they were having trouble crossing. And, you know, what's that saying that uh, familiarity breeds contempt? You know, they thought they knew him, or perhaps they thought they knew all they needed to know of him. And when they came to that line, they were not willing to cross it and to follow the Lord. And so they began to say, these are hard things. You know, what he's talking about, who can receive it? And then we have that poignant verse in John 6, 6, 6. The Lord really orchestrated that verse and the number. And it said, from that time, many of his disciples went back and walked no more. That was a line they couldn't cross. That was a saying they couldn't believe in, that we have to feed upon him, upon his, his flesh and drink his blood. And of course, if you're, if you're stuck in the natural frame of thinking, then that's a hard saying. But if you can understand and have eyes to receive the truths of the Spirit and the kingdom of God, you can begin to understand he's talking about spiritual things. But that was not everyone, thankfully, right? Because we know what happened after that. You know, many left him. Even disciples stopped following him. But then he turned to his main disciples, and there were more that continued with him than the twelve, just the twelve. But you know, he says he turned to the twelve and he says, Are you gonna leave me too? And then Peter gives that remarkable response. In John 6 and verse 68, it says, Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom will we go? You have the words of eternal life. Now, I don't think the disciples necessarily had a greater understanding at that point than everyone else. I think they were probably, you know, wondering what he was talking about, too. Uh, maybe they were a little nervous. Eat his flesh and drink his blood. I'd love to watch the video reruns in heaven of, you know, kind of to see what, what their expressions were <laughs> looking at each other. <laughs> What's he saying? But what set them apart was their response. They, I, it's not clear that they understood what he was talking about, but for them, they didn't need to. They just needed to believe. They just needed to trust that Jesus knew what he was doing. Lord, you're going to lead us. Even though we don't understand it, we don't even like it. But you're going to lead us in the way of eternal life. You know, they believed that he would safely lead them over this line and farther into the deeper things of his kingdom. They trusted and believed. And you know what? That belief became a pathway for faith to enter in for greater things. You know, sometimes you consider some of the great men and women of God uh, in Scripture and in church history, you know, the heroes of faith, and you know, what made them great. And sometimes you think of you know, how they walked with God, and, and sometimes you think that at some point it's like they arrived and they came to this 
super spiritual plane of walking with God. You know, they entered the promised land and conquered their enemies and entered into rest. And well, that's a true spiritual description. Sometimes you think that, well, they arrived and, you know, now they're like Superman or Superwoman in the, in the, in the spirit. But yet naturally they still faced the same situations we face. They faced the unknown, the uncertainties. They faced spiritual enemies and principalities. But I think what made them great was that they had come to a place of trust and belief that became almost a second nature to them. There have been so many times where they trusted God and God preserved them and God led them and God was always good to them that they just had hearts that were willing to believe, that were able to look beyond the natural situation. They didn't care what they saw with their eyes. They just believed. And you know, when we have that kind of belief, that's when divine faith, the faith of heaven can enter in and produce the miracle time after time. You know, that leads us in the way of being heroes of faith, not because of who we are, but because of the faith that enters into us. And so one of the things of the New Testament that's quite astounding is just the faith that came into some into some of the hearts of these ones we read in scripture because they believed. Now really we're looking at in this this topic we're kind of really looking at the conditions that God wants to develop in our hearts and in our lives so that we have hearts that are willing to believe and look beyond the natural, what we see with our eyes, what we understand with our minds, so that we can receive that kind of faith. You know, in some of the New Testament stories you're reading about, where you know, there's times when Jesus is it, he's impressed, and sometimes it says he's astounded at some of the people, some of the faith he beheld in certain individuals, and how often and he marveled at their faith and. And a lot of times they weren't even Israelites. Right? They were Gentiles. They didn't know him. They've heard of him, but somehow they were able to believe and receive faith. They allowed a tremendous amount of faith to enter in, and they pursued God until they received their miracle. You know, like the centurion from Matthew chapter 8. You know, we probably remember that story of the centurion who had a sick servant. And he sent some of his other servants to Jesus and to ask for a healing. And, and Jesus said, well, I'll come. And some of those servants must have ran, ran on ahead and told the master, Jesus said, yes, he's coming. And you know, I just kind of imagined, he said, quick, go back to him. Tell him he doesn't need to come here. He just needs to say the word and my servant will be healed. And Jesus responded in in Matthew 8, verse 10. He said, Jesus heard it. He marveled. There weren't many things Jesus marveled at. But he marveled and said to those who followed, Assuredly, I say unto you, I have not found such great faith, not in Israel. In natural Israel, he had not found such a great amount of faith, but he did find it in this Gentile who believed. And so God wants to develop in us a heart that will believe. 
and so that we would be willing to cross many lines, many lines of impossibility, many lines of, that require faith. A new level of knowing and experiencing him and walking with him so that we enter into our promised land, defeat our enemies, and come into rest. But we need that heart of belief in order to receive our touch from the Lord. You know, something Sarah brought out in, in her Women of the Bible class uh, about the story with the woman with the issue of blood is that many people in that crowd touched Jesus. Right? The disciple says, everyone's touching you. They all wanted to touch <laughs> Hey, I touched the master. Maybe other people received a blessing, but when this woman touched her after 12 years of sickness and spending all her money on doctors that didn't heal her, she received a touch. But, you know, it starts with the fact that she heard that Jesus was coming. And in Matthew 9, 21, it says, what she said within herself, herself if I may touch, but touch his garment, I will be made whole. Many people touched Jesus that day, but this woman had a deep and powerful belief that she could be made whole. And that opened the door to faith, so that faith came in as a substance in her heart that if she'll just touch the edge of his robe, she'll be healed. And sure enough, she pressed through the crowd and touched him and received power. In verse 22 of Matthew 9, it says, Jesus turned him about, and when he saw her, he said, Daughter, be of good comfort. Your faith has made you whole. And the woman was made whole from that hour. And you know, that's the end point that God wants to bring us to in our journey of faith and through experiences, crossing many lines that seem uncrossable through natural eyes. But God wants to bring us to that place, a touch that makes us whole, that makes us complete in him. But the road to get there requires a heart that is willing to believe. Not necessarily understand, but believe. You know, there's a phrase that we've heard, we might not even know where it comes from, crossing the Rubicon. You know, it refers to Caesar crossing uh, the Rubicon River on his way to Rome but to become emperor. And he, he, was, he knew he was going to have to fight to achieve that. And it, it really talks about being willing to cross that point of no return. Once he crossed that, there was no turning back. But, you know, there's a point where we have to commit our lives into the plan of God and to trust in that and submit to it and rest in it and believe that he's placed us just where we need to be and trust in the one that's greater than our understanding. And so the enemy of faith is unbelief. You know, Jesus could not do many mighty works because the people could not get past what they understood and what they saw with their eyes. And that limited the mighty God of Israel. That still is an amazing thought. And that makes me want to cry out, Lord, don't let me limit the mighty God of Israel, because I can't believe you for something. Well, those disciples, that's our model, because they had that different reaction. 
they didn't necessarily understood, understand and they didn't see everything, but they believed. You know, and so they responded, Lord, what other way can we go? You are leading us in the way of eternal life and we'll follow you wherever you're going to lead us. Whatever you say, even if it's eat your flesh and drink your blood, we'll trust that you'll make it clear in your, in your time. And so let's pray for that heart response to be disciples who when we're brought to that line, we're always willing to say, well, Lord, what else can I do? I'm just going to believe that you are going to lead me. I'm going to trust in you. We trust and believe, and then we pray a lot. Might talk about that a little bit next week, the work of faith and how faith is, happens and so forth. It happens through a lot of prayer and seeking God. But yet when we believe and we seek and we cry out, then God puts that faith within us that produces the miracle. It opens that door for faith to come in and to produce His miracle in our lives. And Lord, we thank You that You are the God of Israel and that You want to release faith in us, faith to move mightily, faith to move mountains, faith to bring down principalities and powers. Oh God, and we just pray that, Lord, You would give us those hearts that would believe, Lord. Lord, that You would give us hearts like the, the disciples that when we're facing the unknown and the difficult situations and the situations that can be unnerving to us. But yet, Lord, we would respond to you. Oh, Lord, where else are we going to go? You have the words of life. Oh, God, give us the, that heart that would believe and to say yes to you. Cleanse that unbelief from us. And Lord, we just pray that we would, would be candidates for your faith to enter in in a new and a fresh way. Do what we ask in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. The Lord bless you.